This is episode number 386 with Christine Hassler. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Christine Hassler is a master coach, facilitator, and speaker with over 16 years' experience. She is the best-selling author of three books, most recently, Expectation Hangover. Free yourself from your past, change your present, and get what you really want. And she's the host of the top-rated podcast, Over It and On With It, where she coaches people live on the show. She is known globally for her ability to identify what is holding someone back and compassionately guide them toward clarity. She also works with companies and organizations to increase their productivity and decrease the stress of their employees. She has a master's degree in spiritual psychology and implements elements of NLP, psychology, spirituality, science, and her own diverse life experiences into her work. She's appeared on many TV shows, including The Today Show, CNN, ABC, CBS, Fox, E-Style, and The New York Times. She believes once we get out of our own way, we can show up to make the meaningful impact we are here to make. And in today's epic conversation, we chat about the quarter-life crisis that led her to an incredible life transformation and how she managed to get off medication for good, how expectations are sabotaging even our most treasured relationships, the best way to set healthy boundaries even if you're a diehard people pleaser, how to overcome disappointment when life doesn't turn out the way you desired and how to turn it into a catalyst for massive growth, how to access deep inner healing and free yourself from your past, how to tap into the incredible healing power of inner child work, even if you've never done it before, how to heal your relationship with your parents and why it's essential we do this, why pregnancy is an even bigger invitation to level up and go deeper in your inner child healing work, how inner child work can transform all the relationships in your life, including your romantic relationship, plus so much more. And for everything that Christine and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 386. And now, without further ado, let's get this party started with the incredible Christine Hassler. Beautiful Christine Hassler, I am so excited to have you on the show. It's been a long time coming, but before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, it wasn't my normal breakfast because I was driving to meet a friend for a walk. So I just had a protein bar and my Organifi cacao drink for my breakfast this morning. <laughs> oh, how good is Organifi? The best. So amazing. But that's after my celery juice, of course, that I start every morning with. Oh, I love it. I love it. I am so excited to have you here. We have known each other, I think, close to 10 years. I was thinking about that. It would have been 2000, beginning of 2013 or 14 
or maybe even 12. I can't remember, but it's been a while. It was before I was with Nick and I was with Nick in 2013. So it must have been 2012. So we have known each other for a very long time. And I remember the first time I met you in Bondi and I was blown away with not only your beauty, but your presence, your warmth, your openness, and your big, beautiful, giant, kind heart and your authenticity. I'm so excited to share all of your work with my tribe today and for them to hear your wisdom because I've loved not only having you as a dear friend, but watching you share your work, your books, your programs and everything that you've done. So can you give us a little bit of a background? How did you get to where you are today doing the work that you now do? Well, it's such an old story. It dates me. So I really started coaching people in 2005. And that was after I had had my quarter life crisis, left a successful job, was dumped six months before my wedding, have family stuff, health stuff, money stuff, everything that went could go wrong did. And I was really looking for help. And I had been in traditional therapy, seen psychiatrists or psychotherapists for years. And this isn't a diss about them or that field. It just, I just wasn't getting anywhere anymore. And I met my first life coach and it just blew me away. The non-judgment she held, the tools she was teaching me. And then I went and looked for a book that would help me with my quarter life crisis. And I didn't find one that I found one that was about how you get the career, how you figure out your life purpose or how you get in the relationship. But I was like, where's the inner work? Where's the personal development book for women in their twenties? And since I didn't find it, I decided to write it. And I never had ambitions about being an author or anything. It was just out of my own necessity. And the book ended up striking a chord with so many women. And as that came out, people would say, Hey, will you be my coach? Will you work with me? And I never even thought about being a coach, but so many people came to me and said that. And I was incidentally working as a personal trainer at the time. And all my personal training clients were way more interested in talking to me and asking me for my insight and asking me for my advice than working out. So I started to realize I had this knack for counseling people, coaching people, but moreover, really listening and really being compassionate and really holding a space of non-judgment. And I think that came from, I have just been so hard on myself my whole life. I mean, you know this, you know the mean girl, you're the expert on that. And mine was fierce. It gave me so much empathy for others because I had to find that compassion in myself. And so that's how it started. That book and people just saying, hey, will you coach me? And then it, it grew, you know, it just grew into speaking and more books and program and the podcast and going back and getting master's degree in spiritual psychology and consciousness, health and healing and learning all these different modalities and just being, you know, as someone who has put on Prozac an antidepressant at 11 and was told you have a chemical imbalance, you will need to be on this the rest of your life. Just like if you were diabetic, you would need insulin. So imagine the programming. Our brain is so squishy always, but especially at 11. Like imagine that programming going in that I just really believed something was wrong with me. Add to that being a late bloomer and being bullied. And I just really had this whole cacophony of limiting beliefs that were blinding me to the truth of who I was. And, you know, being able to get off of them 20 years later, it took me from 20, age 29 to 31 to be able to wean myself off. Because if you're on medication for, you know, 20 years during your formative years, it takes some time to come off. But having an experience like that and getting over some of the things that I got over and having a different internal experience. Yeah, my external life is great and I love it, 
it's my internal experience that I feel is what I'm most proud of. Going from struggling with depression, massive anxiety to the point of panic attacks, terrible inner mean girl, all of that to really having a more loving, kinder, peaceful, actual joyful and grateful experience inside of myself. That's what makes me passionate about this work because I know it's possible for people. And I know we don't have to be victims of our circumstances. And I know that when it comes to healing, there's really nothing we can't heal. There's really nothing we can't shift. Mm, Yes, I love that. And so many people listening will probably be thinking, okay, I want to get to that place. I want to get to that place of deep inner peace and inner comfort. It's sometimes when you're in that pit of the darkness, you've got a really loud inner mean girl, you're on the antidepressants. It can feel like, where is the door? Where's the light? Where do I even go from here? And there is an option. And I love that you say we can heal from this. We can heal from anything. And you're proof of that. And I've loved watching your evolution over the last 10 years. The book that you keep referring to is called Expectation Hangover, which is a brilliant title. And I often say in a lot of my work that there's three little words that will ruin your relationships, and that is expectations ruin relationships. And you obviously wrote that book, Expectation Hangover. So I often hear, and I'm sure you often hear this as well, okay, Melissa, if I don't have expectations, people are going to walk all over me and treat me like dirt. So can you talk to that? Is that the case? No. (laughs) So expectations are very different than clear agreements and boundaries. So expectations are like this invisible way of collecting evidence against someone and waiting for them to fail. It's not an empowering place to be because usually when we have expectations, we're really not communicating. We're not forming agreements. If I have an expectation of you, I'm just expecting you to know something. I'm expecting you to do something. I'm expecting that if you were my friend, you would just know this. And that's completely disempowering. But if I take it upon myself to take responsibility for my relationships, because in relationship, we have to take 100% for our 50%. Like there's no, I'll take 50% and you take 50%. It's like, no, take 100% for your half. And with that responsibility, we form agreements. We're like, okay, so I notice I'm expecting some things. Here's some things that I'm expecting. What of those things can you agree to? What is reasonable? What conscious agreements can we make? And then there's boundaries. People don't walk all over if you have boundaries. People walk all over you if you don't communicate, if you expect them to be a mind reader. If you're passive aggressive, if you're a martyr, like all those things where it's very disempowering. And it's not that you are those things, things like being a people pleaser and the passive aggressiveness that comes out, it comes from wounding. It comes from old coping strategies where we thought, well, if I please everyone, then I'll be loved. And it's very hard for people pleasers to set boundaries because they want to be liked. And when we set boundaries with people, they don't always like the boundaries, but that's how we don't build resentment in relationship is we set those boundaries. So Instead of expectations, it's a boundary. If your mother calls you too much and you just expect her to respect the fact that you have three kids now and you don't want her calling you all the time and you get mad at her because she's not meeting your expectations, then one, you haven't formed an agreement and two, 
You haven't put clear boundaries into place. So again, expectations are just like the appetizer for disappointment and resentment. And they are not the same thing as goals. They are not the same thing as boundaries. And they are not the same thing as clear agreements. So I try best in my life not to have expectations of myself first and foremost, because the reason we have so many expectations of others is because the bar we set for ourselves is usually absurd and it just leaks out on others. So I catch myself when I'm expecting someone, especially my husband, to be a mind reader. Like, oh, if he <laughs> knew me, he'd, you know, it's like, no, just tell him. Can't you just know? Like, why don't you just know? You can't read my mind? What? I didn't sign up for this. I know. I know. Yep. That happens a lot. I see it so many times in relationships is that people get angry that their partner isn't living up to their expectations. And then, you know, I coach a lot of couples and one person will say all these expectations and the other one will say, I had no idea you wanted that. Like I had no idea that was even something you needed. And, you know, one thing that I think is hard for us especially people pleasers, especially people that are hard on themselves, especially people that have that, you know, fierce inner mean girl. It's often hard to ask for what we need. And we get nervous about it because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to feel needy. We don't want to put someone else out. And it's dangerous because when we don't ask for what we need, we're unconsciously creating all these secret expectations, setting ourselves up for disappointment and resentment. So asking for what we need, being vulnerable is one of those ways we avoid those expectation hangovers with people. Yes, absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit about boundaries because I talk about this in my second book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex. And there's a whole chapter on boundaries, setting healthy boundaries. And then these people pleasers come to me and they say, oh, no, Melissa, no, 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 no. I can't set boundaries because I'll piss people off or I'll push people away. And that is not what you're doing. When you're setting a healthy boundary, you are teaching people how to be with you and to be in union with you. And this isn't about picking up the phone and going, mom, stop calling me three times a day. This is my new boundary. It's literally about what I call crystal clear communication, practicing CCC, and sitting down with them and saying, hey, you know, now that I've got three children and I'm running the business and I'm doing all these things, do you think it'd be cool if we maybe committed to having a chat? We can chat, you know, every day or every second day, but between 8 and 8.30 is a really great time for me. Does that work for you? Like you've set up an agreement and you've put that boundary in place and then you're not getting all of these calls during the day. That's not rude. That is just saying and communicating clearly what is going to work for you. And then the other person might say, well, that time doesn't work for me. What about this time or whatever? And you can open that dialogue. But setting those boundaries with all of your relationships are so important. And with yourself, I think now more than ever, we need to set some healthy boundaries with ourselves around, for me, it's around my device, it's around the amount I work, you know, setting these boundaries are really important. Maybe you need to set some healthy boundaries around food, or maybe you need to set some healthy boundaries around TV or whatever it is. But we need to not only set these healthy boundaries with others, but also with ourselves. And same with looking at the expectations that we're placing on others 
and the expectations that we're placing ultimately on ourselves. Because if we have lots on other people, we usually have a lot on ourselves. So many more. Yes. And I love what you said about the CCC, the crystal clear communication, because that is love. Truth and love have to go together. You can't have real truth without love and you can't really have love without truth. So I see so many people in relationships that don't want to set boundaries, don't want to have that hard call with mom. Seems like mom's a hard one when it comes to boundaries for so many people. And I always say, well, here's the thing. Like if you really love mom, you've got to have truth in your relationship because if you keep doing this thing where you're pretending things are okay, but it's quietly building resentment, it's just going to distance you. I've had several times with my mom where I put some boundaries in place and our relationship was maybe a little rocky for a while, but I'm willing to deal with short-term discomfort in a relationship and speaking my truth, which is sometimes hard for me because I have that people pleaser in me and I want to make sure someone's happy. And I have to watch when, when I'm like not speaking my truth and I'm just worried about how she's going to feel. And my relationship with my mom is so much better now because I was willing to have those CCC, CCCs, I love that. And I was willing to let it be tense for a moment because I knew that in the long run, this was going to make my relationship with my mom better because I wasn't going to just quietly distance myself and build resentment. And that's what so many of us do. We just go, it's easier to avoid. So I'll just cut them out of my life or block them out. And then slowly that little bit of resentment within gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you explode. Meanwhile, the other person has no idea what is going on for you, no idea. And meanwhile, you're sitting there with this resentment just building and building. So we need to become aware of our expectations and where we're placing them Are there any positives of expectations or having an expectation hangover? So there's definitely a positive of having an expectation hangover. So let me define what an expectation hangover is. It's a feeling of disappointment. It's a feeling of disappointment, lack of motivation, regret, wanting to rewind time, being confused, trying to like figure things out when it comes from things not going according to plan, things not going according to your expectations, your expectations were not met, you thought you were going to get a job and you didn't, you know, you thought you were going to get pregnant and it doesn't happen. Or you have an expectation and you meet it, you get that amazing job or you're finally in that great relationship or you lose those 20 pounds or 40 kilos or whatever the conversion is and you're not, it doesn't solve the problem. It didn't give you that feeling that you thought you would. It didn't make everything better all of a sudden. And the third kind of expectation hangover, which I think so many of us can relate to in the past year, is just an unexpected curveball. A curveball that you're just like, whoa, this threw me into massive uncertainty. I feel really unstable. I don't know what to do. I'm in a lot of fear and anxiety because there's so much uncertainty. That's what an expectation hangover is, one or a combination of all those things. And why they're good is because really we learn and we grow through contrast. You know, as a coach, and I'm sure you see this, Melissa, too, people don't come to me or find my work when everything's amazing. <laughs> they yeah. come when they have an expectation hangover. That's why I wrote this book, is because. You know, I was going through my divorce. So the expectation hangover was my third book. So it was like after the 20 something thing, fiance dumped me, I got married, and then I got divorced in my early 30s. 
And I was in this massive expectation hangover, felt like a failure, all the things. And I navigated my way out of it. And I noticed this kind of formula for moving through disappointment. And in my own life, especially my divorce, and in everyone I was working with, it was like, wow, disappointment, expectation hangovers are this doorway into the possibility of massive transformation and massive healing. Because whenever we have an expectation hangover, like my divorce, it's not the first time we felt that way. It wasn't the first time I felt like a failure. It wasn't the first time I felt scared or sad or like I messed something up or I was different from everybody else or I was behind or whatever it was. And so when we have an expectation hangover, it gives us the opportunity to go back and say, what does this remind me of? Like, what is this bringing up for me that I haven't looked at, that I've swept under the rug, that I've avoided for all these years? And I think so many people this year, especially here in the U.S., when there's just been so much chaos, so much uncertainty has been triggered inside of people. And so many people have had expectation hangovers. And those that have gone, what is this reminding me of? What am I learning? How can I use this as a healing opportunity? Have actually leveraged the disappointment. And when you do that, the interesting thing is you don't have to have the same expectation hangovers over and over and over again. And then the time you spend suffering in them is much shorter. I still get disappointed. I still have expectation hangovers, but my time between my hangovers is so much longer. And the time I spend suffering in the hangover is so much shorter. And just a quick aside, the reason I call it an expectation hangover is because I've been hungover maybe like once or twice in my life. I'm not a big drinker, don't like puking, don't like being out of control, don't like feeling bad, not really my thing. But the two times I have been hungover, it was like the worst feeling ever. And I just wanted it to end. And when we're in disappointment, that's how we feel. We just want it to be over. And so often what we do is we just numb or distract or avoid, you know, in our current day, there are so many ways to numb ourselves. There's so many ways to distract ourselves. I mean, it's endless. I think that's why addiction is on the rise because we have far less actual emotional coping skills and far more addictive coping skills that are out there in the world. But if we don't go into those coping and distracting strategies and allow ourselves to go into the pain, that's where the healing and transformation can occur. Mm, absolutely. Looking at it, moving toward it, and then working through it. That's when the transformation happens. That's where the growth happens. The evolution happens. And that's what we're here for. That is why we're here on earth. That's our purpose. (laughs) Exactly. So I love it. So for someone listening who may realize, wow, okay, I have lots of expectations on other people and lots of expectations on myself. Where do I start? So A really good place from my point of view to start is to look at where those expectations commonly go into an expectation hangover. Like where are you most disappointed in people? Is it in relationships you constantly feel like people aren't, you know, treating you right or maybe you're getting ghosted or in work you feel like all your colleagues aren't doing their work and you have to bear the brunt of it or in your family like you're the one that's constantly the peacemaker and you have to like handle all the crap. So look at where it's kind of a pattern. Look at where the expectations that may be creating an expectation hangover are a pattern. And then start to be curious about that. Start because there's always a payoff. Like, and you know this, like even with something like our inner mean girl. Okay, we can identify the costs, right? It's a terrible voice. It makes me feel bad. It depletes me. It makes me compare myself to other people. It makes me jealous. We can think of a whole long list of all the costs of having that pattern running. 
But we can't shift things until we identify the payoff, right? So there's a payoff in having the inner mean girl too, right? It's like, well, if I'm hard on myself, then I'm going to move forward. If I'm harder on myself than anybody else's, then that protects me. You know, there's all these kinds of things. So we have to figure out how to get the payoff, but in a healthy way. You know, we have to figure out how to move forward without being mean to ourselves. We have to figure out how to get these payoffs from these patterns in a more healthy way. So the expectations we have on people, there's some kind of payoff in it. Maybe it's the payoff is we don't have to get too honest. We don't have to get too intimate. We don't have to be too vulnerable. We don't really have to be seen. All those kind of expectations are protections. They're ways in which we're trying to control or avoid, always. Either I'm trying to control something or I'm trying to avoid something. And so we can start to be curious about that and go, hmm, what are these expectations of myself and others really trying to control and avoid? You know, what's the payoff of having these expectations and how can I maybe get it in a different way? That's where I start is just to be curious because one thing I've noticed about the personal development world is there's so much of a desire for a quick fix. We are not a broken toilet. Like we can't just have a plumber come over, spend two hours and voila, the toilet's working again. We are complex, multifaceted, yet very simple beings all at once. And there's layers to us. And we also, you know, what I've learned about soul evolution is there's certain times we're ready to deal with certain things and there's certain times we're not. So it's not like an overnight process where you can just go in and handle everything. It's like bit by bit by bit, we kind of chip away at the wounding and the unresolved issues and the limiting beliefs that have accumulated over time. So it's not a quick fix. And I notice in personal development, there's massive expectation to just read a book or do a workshop and be healed. Like, voila, I'm, I'm fine now. So for me, curiosity, being curious about where those expectations are coming from and accepting it. Because whenever we come at anything like something's wrong with the way I'm doing this, boom, we're in judgment. And you cannot heal. Love and judgment, completely different ends of the spectrum in terms of energetics. And we cannot heal without the frequency of love. And if we're judging ourselves in any way, shape, or form, we're not going to be able to move into a healing energy. So accept and be curious. That's a good place to start. I love that. Having a curious mind and cultivating curiosity is such a key attribute to life. Whenever anything comes up, like putting on your curious goggles and going, hmm, that's interesting that I got triggered when she said that or he said that hmm, and go digging. Well, oh, what does that bring up within me? Oh, that's what I do. You know, whenever I get triggered, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. What did that trigger within me? It triggered this feeling. Where did that first come from? And this like stems back to the inner child. You know, where did this first happen? And I want to talk to you about this inner child healing work that I talk a lot about on the podcast, and it has been revolutionary for me doing this inner child healing work. It's been so powerful because when you have a trigger or you realize that you have an expectation, going back to when it first happened, it's usually around our childhood and we can discover and learn a lot about ourselves. So can you talk a little bit about what exactly is our inner child? For people who are like, what are they talking about? What is the inner child? So the inner child is not a word that a bunch of life coaches sat around and made up. It's not like a personal development buzzword. It is a psychological reality. It's been talked about in psychology and psychiatry for a long time. And so 
if we, maybe some of you have heard about like the iceberg metaphor about how our conscious mind is like an iceberg. Only 5% of it is above the water, meaning like only 5% of our actions, thoughts, and behavior are actually conscious. We're only aware of. And 95%, so the rest of the iceberg is in our unconscious mind or under the water. So 95% of our actions, behaviors, and everything are driven by the unconscious mind. And that's where the inner child lives in the unconscious subconscious mind. It's where all our memories are stored. Even people that say they don't have memories, you do. They're back there. And the inner child is, I like to think of it as the very, very, very tender, sensitive part of us. It's also the part of us that's incredibly intuitive and it's magical and it's curious and it's super connected to our gifts and our dharma, you know, really what we're here to experience. And because the inner child is sensitive and tender, and for most of us didn't get his or her needs met when we were children, the inner child is also a bit wounded and a bit activated. So what I have noticed in, I've been coaching people for, gosh, over 15 years now, And anything, like you said, Melissa, like anything can be traced back to childhood. And one of the reasons I went back and got my degrees in psychology and got trained in that domain is because I was working as a life coach and I'm like, I cannot help people with their present and their future unless I really help them go back and deal with their past. Because most of us have an inner child that's sitting there anxious, scared, feeling not enough, and just waiting for us as the grown up to go back and rescue it. And to go back and bring it into our present and be like, you're safe, you're enough, I love you, there's nothing wrong with you, I see you. And so inner child work is not, and this is where the two blocks that keep people from doing inner child work are one, they don't have memories, so they think they can't do it. Not true. They're just telling themselves they don't have memories because we all do? Well, yes and no. So a lot of people really don't and never do. Like either their childhood was that traumatic or for whatever reason, like it just didn't implant in their memory. They can't access it. You know, I had a childhood trauma come up 30 years after it happened. I repressed it for 30 years. And then when I was ready to remember, because I think I had the tools to remember, boom, it was there. I had a migraine, a terrible migraine. And I was like, why do I have this migraine? And to me, I always have migraines in my third eye when there's something I don't want to see. And so I went into the pain and boom, there was the memory. But our psyche protects us. So for a lot of people, they just don't have the memories because like they're protecting. And you know, our childhood, our brain is still forming. So the memories kind of just get foggy. But we do remember because we remember how we felt. So you definitely don't need to remember your childhood to do inner child work. And the second thing is you don't need to relive your trauma to do inner child work. And I think that's why so many people get stuck is they're like, I want to do inner child work, but I really don't want to go back to when my babysitter molested me. Like that does not, I do not want to go back there. It's done and it's over and I lived through it and it was awful enough. So inner child work is about, instead of trying to access memories, it's about looking at the triggers, looking at where you get stuck, looking at things like anxiety or overwhelm or sabotaging behavior, insecurities, because those are the clues. That's the inner child. Anytime we feel unsafe, anytime we feel really anxious, anytime we don't feel resourced, like we don't feel grounded, we don't feel like we're really like grounded in our body. Anytime we're feeling not enough, anytime we're feeling that codependent need to to go and like have somebody else take care of us, 
that's the inner child calling out for help. So we don't need the memories. We just need to look at the feelings and the behaviors and kind of some of the emotional addictions that we're trapped in because that's revealing to us where the inner child is calling out for help. And in terms of processing it, we don't need to relive the trauma. We can go back and just say to that little one, I'm here. Like, for example, I, I picked a pretty extreme example, but child abuse is such a big thing that I think it's important to talk about. So let's use that example of being abused as a kid. And you go back to that little one and say, I'm here. What are you feeling? What do you need to say? What do you need to express? And you just hold space for that expression and you let that little one speak and it's really about not reliving the trauma but allowing the part of you that felt all those feelings at the time that had to hold them in a safe space to express and it's holding that loving space of compassion and just being like i'm here let it out it's okay you're safe now then that inner child starts to feel like oh wow someone's finally saving me someone's pulling me out of this past and bringing it in the point is not to like stay in the past, but to bring your inner child into the present with you and be that loving, nurturing parent. So, so much of inner child work is learning how to talk to ourselves in a different way. When we get really anxious or we feel unsafe or we feel triggered, just being like, hey, little Christine, you're breathing really hard. Your heart's racing. What's going on? What do you need? That's the number one question we can ask the inner child parts of us is what do you need? Because most of us didn't get, like I said, what we needed from our parents, society, teachers, siblings, friends, you name it. And so becoming a healthy inner parent, being both that healthy mother and father to ourselves, is about asking those tender, sensitive parts of us inside, what do you need? And then listening and then giving it to them. So powerful, such incredibly potent work. One thing that really helped me with the inner child healing work was having a little picture beside my bed of my six-year-old self. And it's still there. And every morning I see her and she's next to the scan of my current baby girl who's in my belly. And so I literally roll over and I look at them both and I say, I've got you today. I've got you too. Don't worry, babes. I've got you. I've got your back. You know, because there's the little baby I'm growing inside me, but there's also my little inner child. You know, there's two that need my love and my support and my attention. And I roll over, I kind of wink at them. Sometimes I kiss the photo and my Nick just looks at me. He's like, you're so cute. And I just tell him, I'm like, I've got you girls. Don't worry, babes. I've got you. And that's really what this inner child healing work is about. It's about showing yourself that you've got yourself because, you know, my mom used to always say this to me, be your own best friend. And I remember going, what do you mean? Like I was in primary school and I was like, mom, I've got best friends. Like I don't need to be my own best friend. I didn't really get it. And now I'm like, oh, no, I really do need to be my own best friend. I need to speak to myself like I would speak to my best friend. I need to love myself like I would love my best friend. And that's where we need to do the work because, you know, like you said, maybe we didn't get something as a child and that's okay. Our parents were doing the best that they could. This isn't about blaming them. This is about going, okay, well, I'm aware that I didn't get the love or the attention or the affection that I desired and I deserved as a child. And guess what? I can give it to myself now. I can do the work now. And that's 
the most empowering thing. We don't have to carry this story any longer into our present and our future with us. We can rewrite that. We can move forward from that place of love and compassion for ourselves and as a result, other people. Just popping in to tell you about Ana Luisa, the most beautiful jewelry made in small batches that are kind to the earth. They sustainably craft each piece and are perfect for yourself or a gift for a loved one. And you can get 10% off at analuisa.com forward slash MA tribe. That's A-N-A-L-U-S-I-S-A dot com forward slash MA tribe. One of the many things I love about them is they are carbon neutral and they offset 100% of their carbon emissions, starting with the sourcing of their raw materials all the way to the disposal of their pieces. I personally love their fine and dainty mama necklace because I'm a soon-to-be mama and I love their delicate Stephanie ring and I love wearing these on date nights with my husband. Now, I'm not a big, chunky jewelry kind of girl, which is why I love Ana Luisa. The craftsmanship and the quality are next level. Their shipping is excellent, and as a bonus for international customers, customs taxes are included, and if you follow them on Instagram or subscribe to their newsletter, they offer special perks. And they're having a sale right now, and you can get 10% off at analuisa.com forward slash MA tribe. That's A-N-A-L-U-S-I-S-A dot com forward slash M-A tribe. Now let's get back to the conversation. Another important thing to just say, because I know a lot of people when they hear my parents were doing the best they could, which I agree with. I think everyone's doing the best they could with what they have at the time, even if we can't comprehend. Like, that was your best? Really? That was shit. <laughs> That's yeah. terrible. However, it's, it's hard to get to that point without first letting ourselves have our anger and our grief about our parents. So a big part of the inner child healing, you know, I'm a big fan of emotional release work. I teach something called the temper tantrum technique and release writing and all this kind of stuff, which is, you know, I tell a lot of my clients, like, write an F.U. letter to your mom and your dad that you never send. You're going to rip it up when you're done with it hit a pillow and scream at all the things that you're really angry about. And sometimes that's really important. We need to give ourselves permission to feel that anger at our parents. And and so many people have a hard time with that because so much guilt comes up and it's like, but they did the best they could and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, but the inner child isn't thinking, oh, they did the best they could. The inner child was like, no, my needs were not met. I'm mad about it. Like this wasn't the best. This actually was awful. And so giving that a voice is such an important part of the journey as well. And like giving yourself permission to be mad, knowing that again, just like setting boundaries is an investment in love and connection in the relationship, getting your anger out in a healthy way, not projecting on someone, not writing them that few letter and then handing it to them, not yelling at them, not blaming at them, not making them the scapegoat for why your life isn't the way it is or the way you want it to be. But getting that anger out is what eventually gets us to forgiveness. And I am so glad that I allowed myself to write those F.U. letters to my parents and I got my anger out and I hit a pillow and yelled at them because I don't carry anger at them. I have so much forgiveness and so much love and it was worth those uncomfortable times of feeling guilty. 
you know, I was in California when I was doing the work and I was concerned they could hear me all the way in Texas and so much like child daughter guilt came up. But luckily my coach really encouraged me along and, you know, just said that inner child needs to see you being protective because we want to be as the parent, we want to be nurturing to ourselves. We also want to be protective and be like, you know what? You're right. That really was awful. And we're going to give that a voice. We're going to let you express that. So I just wanted to highlight that too, because I think a lot of times what blocks us from getting to forgiveness and really getting to peace inside ourselves, especially as women, because we're not so good at processing anger, is giving ourselves that permission to feel the anger and just let it go. 100%. Otherwise, it's just sweeping it under the carpet, spiritual bypass, and it will build, that resentment will build. You're absolutely right. We need to feel whatever is there and express it. And however you do that, you choose to do that, it's your own journey, whether it's the letter or the punching of the pillow or doing a boxing class or whatever. Get it out of your cells, get it out. And being pregnant right now, this work is being so highlighted to me because I'm so aware of not wanting to pass down that red thread, that lineage of stuff that we all have. And so for me, it's like literally in the Vedic tradition, they say, I think it's the month four where your baby will literally tap on your spiritual door and go, mama, it's time to clear that. Mama, it's time to move through that. Mama, it's time to do that. And I literally, when month four hit, I was in a meditation. And after my meditation, I wrote down dot points, all these things that I needed to clear, release, heal, move on from. And I literally was just like, okay, thanks, babes. And then I've gone through and I'm like, okay, I need to have that conversation with that person. I need to let go of that. I need to move through that. And I feel so grateful that we have the tools and we have the awareness to be able to do this. It's so important that we look at this work now so that we don't pass it on to our children and our children's children, and then it just keeps going. And it's paramount that we do this work now. So yeah, we don't pass it on. You're right, because we do, even if we try not to. And this is one of the things that I like to say to all mamas, because mamas are really good at putting themselves last on the list and not prioritizing their own self-care, their own work, all of that kind of stuff. And even if they don't verbally say certain things, like let's say that you're very self-critical of your body. Let's just use that example. Even if you never utter a word, you have daughters and you never criticize their bodies and you don't criticize your body in front of them, if you don't heal and clear that, they're going to pick it up. They're good, even if nothing's ever spoken. And I mean, there's a great book by John Bradshaw called Family Secrets that there's just like case after case after case after this. It doesn't matter if something's not spoken about. It doesn't matter if it's a secret. If it hasn't been cleared, it's going to be passed on. And so I love that. I didn't know that month four was when the baby knocks on the door. Does it happen for the man too? Or is it just the mama? That's really interesting. I'm not 100% sure. But definitely Nick has felt the same. I don't know whether it was like month four, but he has definitely felt the same. He came to me a few months ago and he was like, we need to move through this and we need to resolve this. And we've got X amount of months until she's here. He was definitely feeling this pull and this call. And he's like, right. So, you know, we seeked counsel and we've got a plan in action. And it's basically just to clear some stuff in our relationship so that we can up level 
so that we can be the parents that she has come here to experience. Yes. And did you even notice with getting pregnant that it was after clearing certain things that she was ready to come? Oh, I've got full goosebumps, babe. My whole pregnancy conception journey was a spiritual assignment of me just releasing and letting go of control and surrendering and trusting. Like that was the whole process. And then I finally got to that place and she was like, okay, (laughs) you know, okay, ready now. And I was like, okay, you know, and everyone says our children are our biggest teachers, you know, our biggest spiritual assignments. And she's already taught me so much before she's even come earthside because she's showed me, she showed me so many things and helped me and pointed me in the right direction of areas that I needed to clear and release and let go of that are not serving me. They are holding me back from being the best version of myself, from being the best mama that I can be, the best wife that I can be, the best bonus mom that I can be, the best friend. So it's constantly upgrading. And Nick and I always joke, we're like, being conscious and aware, it's like, it's exhausting. It really is a full-time thing. (laughs) It's a full-time job. Can't we just drink and watch Netflix? That seems easier. (laughs) Yes. It's like, can I go back and take the other pill? You know, that ignorance, but we are here to grow and evolve. And I'm only joking. I'm only taking the mickey out of everything, but I wouldn't have it any other way. But it is, it's a full-time job, like holding yourself accountable and Showing up as the best version of yourself is a full-time job. And then when you have children, you've got eyes, you've got a spotlight because they're watching everything you do and they feel everything that you feel. Like even now, she feels everything I feel, everything. So if I'm sad, she feels that. If I'm anxious, she feels that. So it's our job to show up and take 100% responsibility for ourselves. And that's why we're here. Yeah. And I feel like the souls that are coming in now are like, their requirements are bigger in terms of the things they need cleared. Cause they're like, we have a lot of work to do. We have consciousness to shift. Like we have a whole mission on this planet. This, the babies that are coming in right now, I just feel like it's a whole different consciousness that's coming in. And I think that's why for so many women, there's even, even in finding a partner, I know for me, my struggle was the delay in finding a partner. And It's because it was like, no, a whole new relationship needs to start being modeled here. Like you're not allowed to do the old ways anymore. And there's so much you need to clear before this comes in. And I think that's so true with so many things, but especially pregnancy and these new ones coming in, they're not wanting to have, they've got a big mission and they're not wanting all the generational stuff. They're like, you need to do that. So I can come in with a clean slate as much as possible. So exciting. I can't wait to meet her. Oh, A hundred percent. I absolutely agree with you. This inner child stuff, it does show up in our romantic relationships. It does. How have you seen it show up in your romantic relationship? And what did you do to move through that? Well, so many ways, but I'll tell a quick story of how it showed up in the beginning. So how it showed up in the beginning for Steph was, so he grew up in a pretty abusive childhood, was, you know, grew up in Australia in a Greek Italian home mentally and verbally and physically abusive. And so he never really felt loved. That's his inner child never really felt loved and safe and protected. And my inner child wounding is feeling a little smothered, feeling a little like I didn't have space. So we come together, you know, quickly. Our union was rocket ship fast. And he moves to the U.S. 
doesn't have any friends. I'm, you know, has to kind of rebuild his career and I'm his only person. So I'm feeling super smothered and like, I don't have space and he's testing me to see how far he can push me to see if I love him. Like he's constantly testing my love. Well, if I do this, will you still love me? He didn't trust love. Right. And I didn't trust that I could have love without losing myself. So he was so afraid of not being loved. And I was so afraid of losing myself. We were constantly fighting (laughs) and I was pushing him away and he was coming and then he'd get angry. It was just a mess. And luckily we had some tools and awareness and we sat down one day and I said, I think, you know, we're fighting like brothers and sisters right now because I think our inner childs are freaking out and we need to sit down and talk about, I need to tell you about my little girl and her fears and what she grew up with. And you need to talk to me about your little boy. You need to learn how to love him in this, but I do too. And when it comes to relationships, I always stand by the fact that, you know, we need to do our own healing work. We do. It's us and us first. And there's other people on the planet. (laughs) And relationships are part of the container of healing. And intimate relationships provide this tremendous opportunity for either massive inner child triggering or incredible inner child wounding. Because so if you can really get to know the hurts, the wounds of your partner's inner child, again, it's not your job to fix it but you can be a little more tender to it. You can be a little bit more aware. So a lot of times Steph does stuff that I'm just like, what is he doing? And then when I go, oh, oh, that's little boy stuff, then I can have compassion for it and not project how I would necessarily deal with something onto him. So we can understand that wounding. And also I had to talk to little Christine a lot and be like, Steph is not your parents. I got you now. Like we're going to have a different reality. Like that was then, this is now. I had to talk with her a lot about the difference between, because she confused being smothered and enmeshed and codependent with love. So anything that felt like love, she thought she was going to lose herself. And so I really had to work with her on that. And then it kind of flipped because another inner child wound of mine was my parents dying, especially my mom, because we were so close. So I went from get away from me to call me every five minutes because I'm afraid you're going to die. You know, it's like, it's like different things can come up at different times. I was like, oh, wow, that's the inner child again. And I had to console her and Steph had to be patient with me through that process. And it's just been such a beautiful part of our relationship because we know that sometimes we're not showing up as our adult self. Sometimes we're showing up as that little one. And when we can work with that and be patient with that, it prevents a lot of fights that go nowhere. And that's why so many couples get into this place where either they're just passive with each other and they've grown apart, or they just have fights that go nowhere, is they haven't really gotten to know their own inner child and love their own inner child. They haven't let their partner see and love their inner child. And the inner child doesn't feel safe with that partner. And that's what pulls a lot of people apart. So that's another reason the work's so important. Oh, so important. So important. And then what happens when two people are willing and open to do that inner child healing? It's just magic. The relationship can really blossom and that's when the juiciness really starts to happen. So yeah, it's so powerful, such important work. I'd love to hear what's something that you're working on within yourself at the moment. You know, I think the biggest thing that I'm working on within myself is that it's okay to rest. (laughs) I've been go, go, go for so long. 
I've done much better with surrender and letting go. I've really fought my monster of control. I mean, she still comes up a lot, but I mean, not as often. But for me, it's like really allowing my body and my nervous system and to really step into that feminine energetic of receptivity and restoration and rest. And I'm saying no to a lot more things, which is hard (laughs) because it's like, but what if it makes me irrelevant? You know, that type of thing. So that's what I'm really leaning into is just like deep, deep rest and restoration and seeing, you know, this is that feminine energetic of like seeing what I can create through rest and through receptivity and, and shifting more out of that doing, doing, doing into more of that being way. Mm, yeah, it's so important. So important. And digging beneath that, why do I feel like I need to go, go, go? And what is it giving within me? Why can't I just be okay with just sitting and receiving and resting? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me, it's because that's when bad things would happen. So, you know, if I'm busy and things are moving, then there's not this stillness where I'm like waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think it's a habit too. You know, I know underneath all of it initially was just deep insecurity and feeling like I need to compensate by doing and achieving. And I don't feel that drive anymore, but there's still the addiction to that. You know, we just got back from Dr. Joe Dispenza's week-long advanced for, and it was the second time we went. And he talked so much about these emotional addictions. Like even if there's not necessarily the same payoff, it's just a habit. It's like, I forgot how to just rest, <laughs> you know, except for when I sleep. And it's learning, all right, I can release that pattern and the emotional addiction that's with it and like create a new habit and a new pattern. So there's that element of it too. Yeah, so important. So important. I want to hear how your day flows and in particular your morning routine and how you set yourself up for success because you and Steph, you both work from home. What are your rituals? Can you talk us through a quote unquote typical day in your life? Yes. So sleep for me is everything. I like to sleep at least eight hours a night. I am a much happier person. I'm way more productive. My brain is way more clear when I get nice, good rest. So first and foremost, I had to get a good night's rest. So I wake up. I don't turn on my phone. I turn on my phone, but I keep it on airplane mode just to look at the time. And I usually will do my meditation right there and then. So I've been doing Dr. Joe's meditations lately. They're like an hour plus. So they're big, bigger time commitment. When I don't have that space or time, I'll do breath work or tapping. I'm a really big fan of EFT tapping. So I'll do something in the morning, anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour, depending on my day of breath, meditation, tapping, like something that just gets me in a different frequency. And then get up, have my celery juice, which is my morning thing that I've been doing for years. And then I'll read a little bit and then have my breakfast and kind of start working. And then it's some kind of a workout that usually happens. And then it's just like my day. It's interviews, it's clients, it's we're creating a new coaching institute. We've got lots of programs that are running. We've been very blessed that, you know, a lot of the online programs are, people are just loving it right now because with COVID, People are just craving, you know, community and that kind of stuff. So it's been amazing to see, especially as someone who has been a retreat facilitator for 15 years and loves being present with people. I was really concerned that I was going to miss that aspect of something I love so much to do. So it's been really cool to see that people have transitioned to more online learning. I stop working usually at six. 
we have dinner. I either read or we watch some like good TV. I can't watch violence. I can't watch blood. I can't watch loud sounds. Like we just watched soul for the second time on Disney plus the other night. It's so good. Have you seen that? No. What is it? Melissa, you have to watch it. It's a Pixar movie. It's on Disney plus. Okay. Yeah. Jamie Foxx is the main character. It's so good. I love it. it. Did you watch inside out? Did you see inside out? Yes, that was amazing. It's on par with that. It's like that kind of movie. So that's the kind of stuff I like to watch. Something uplifting, something that just opens my heart and doesn't cause me anxiety. (laughs) And then go to bed. And my husband and I have a little nighttime ritual in terms of a couple questions we ask each other. We always have cuddle time at night. And that's it. Mm, So beautiful. I love that. It's really beautiful. I'm the same as you. I am so conscious of the input that goes into my mind and my body and my soul. So with TV, movies, radio, media, magazines, newspapers, all of that stuff, I am so committed to only fueling my body with inspiration and lightness and love and Leo joke. They're like, you have two genres of films that you can watch. That's comedies and romantic comedies. They say, let's watch a movie. Then I'll say, yeah, well, you know, it's got to fall under one of those categories. They appease me and they sometimes watch a romantic comedy with me, but I think they secretly love it too. I have the same conversation with my husband, only he gets a little more frustrated. He's like, oh, I just really want to watch this new whatever movie. And I'm like, nope, guns, Yeah, sounds, yeah. not going to happen. <laughs> I'm like, watch it in your own time. I just can't. I will literally have nightmares that night. I'll sweat. I'll have nightmares. It'll be terrible. Yeah, we just have to be super mindful of what the input is. Well, and that's what I've noticed too with empaths, with people that have massive gifts of intuition and and empathy is that our nervous systems, I don't like to say are fragile. They're just like a hummingbird. They're a little more delicate in their ways and they're specific. You know, I used to call myself sensitive or fragile or high maintenance. And I'm like, why am I calling myself those things? It's not coming from a bad place. It's just kind of how I'm wired. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm specific. And this body really needs. And it, sleep is one of them. And good food is another one. And calm, peaceful, cleanly environment. I can't have chaos. And not jarring things that rattle my nervous system. Like, no, thank you. 100%. Nick calls it fine-tuned. He's like, I'm just fine-tuned. I'm a highly vibrational, fine-tuned being. And that's exactly, that's what we are. So I'd love to hear now if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world, besides your books, they definitely should be in there. What is one other book you would choose? Oh, that's so hard. That's such a good question. I would definitely want to pick something where people really learn how their mind creates reality. So I don't know if it's something by Dispenza. I don't know if it's something by Bruce Lipton. It's it's something in that genre, something about how your mind has tremendous power in terms of what you bring into it, and your body is always communicating to you from the, the unconscious mind. And if I could empower high school or even younger with the understanding of their emotions, that they're not bad, and how powerful their mind is and how powerful their thoughts are. I think that would be just such a game changer. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's so important. Yeah. Anything by Bruce Lipton. He's been on my podcast or Joe Dispenza. 
anything from those two magical men would be amazing. What's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? We moved to Austin almost a year ago, and we have an incredible community here that is just bringing me so much joy. I've never been part, you know, my whole life I've had kind of friends all over the world or friends that I know from this or friends that I know from then. It'd be like a dinner with one friend and then a dinner with this friend. And everybody was kind of spread out. I didn't have like a group. And what's so cool about Austin is like there's a group. And even though it's a big city, it's small. Like I went to a place called Alive and Well where you get IVs and acupuncture and all this kind of stuff. And I saw two people I knew. And I didn't really have that in LA. You know, it was just so spread out. And so I'm really loving community. I'm really loving soul family. I'm really loving the connection and just being in a phase in my life with friends, especially where there isn't competition. There's just real true love and like seeing each other and celebrating each other and supporting each other like soul family. That's, that's something that just is really filling me up right now. So beautiful. I feel like that too here for the first time in my life, I have big group of friends. Like I've never had that before as well. It's always been like, yeah, one friend there or two there, very spread out where now there's a group of us that always catch up together. And it's just so beautiful to have that soul family. And it takes commitment and work and you've got to schedule in the catch-ups and you've got to do those things. It just doesn't happen without putting in that time and energy. I always say a relationship is like a plant. You've got to water it. You've got to give it sunlight. You've got to give it love and attention if you want it to grow. Relationships are exactly the same. Totally. So I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Oh my gosh. Look in the mirror and tell yourself how amazing you are and like believe it and stand there in the mirror until you actually believe it and you actually feel grateful for your life. That changes your body chemistry so much. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. What is one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Amp up our self-worth. Like really, really feel into being worthy. And you know, what really helps me with this is thinking about all the people in my life. And if I had to give them a score of one to 10 of who was more worthy than the other, I couldn't. Everybody would get a 10. And I'm like, why am I any different? So really feeling into that self-worth and standing in it and doing firm boundaries, back to boundaries, like cutting out anything that depletes your worth. I love that. That's a really good little exercise to do is to think about all of your friends and where would you rate their worthiness? You wouldn't give someone a nine and someone a seven. You'd be like, no, you're a 10 and you're a 10 and you're a 10. So why aren't I a 10? I love that. Okay, last one. What is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life today? Well, since we talk so much about inner child, I would say really connect with that inner child. I keep a picture of me too. There's one, I think I'm about three and I have several. And, you know, if I'm ever, if my inner mean girl is fired up or I'm just in a bad place. I will look at that picture and I will just immediately feel compassion and love when I look into the eyes of me as a little girl. So I would say, take that suggestion from Melissa and me too, to look at that, get a picture and connect with her or him and just let that flood your heart. Just like a puppy or a child would like, let yourself feel that unconditional love for yourself because that just opens your heart and it just extends out. Oh, I love that. And I just had an idea 
grab that picture and then post it on Instagram stories and tag Christine and I so we can see your little self. I would love that. I love seeing little photos of my friends and family. I think it's so beautiful. Whenever I go to Nick's parents' house, I always am begging his mom to show me their photo albums. I'm like, can you get the photo albums down? I just love seeing them. I think it's so beautiful. There's so many memories and so much love. So tag Christine and I so we can see them. I love that too. We teach an inner child workshop and we have people submit their pictures on the Facebook group and they do different drawings. And it's really cool just to see everybody's little ones, you know, and kind of see by the fashion what decade they were born in, just the smile and the innocence. And it's just so precious. We all, we, you know, no matter how old we get, we all have that little one inside. Absolutely. This has been so beautiful and so potent and powerful. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't spoken about yet? Well, the one thing I'd say that we kind of touched on is, you know, I know, especially for so many people, this year has been a big time of uncertainty. And if you're really looking for ways to calm that anxiety, to navigate the uncertainty, I know no better way than doing the inner child work. Like really commit to it. I don't think it's something we can skip. doesn't matter how much I ever get the opportunity to interview Joe Dispenza. This is one of the things I want to ask him because I know for me, going and doing his work and getting into an energetic field and being able to manifest new things, it's been so much easier because I have dealt with my trauma. That inner child feels safe. So when I sit in meditation, I don't have all that stuff coming up. And so I think it's just such valuable work to like work with that little one because that will really help you navigate the uncertainty at that time. The safer you feel within, the more you'll be able to really see uncertainty as the land of possibility and not this big scary monster. Absolutely. So beautiful. You have helped so many people for so long with your books, your events, your retreats, social media, your programs, speaking gigs, podcasts, everything that you do. You help and serve so many people and you do it from such a beautiful, loving place, that big, beautiful, gorgeous heart of yours. So I want to know, because you give so much to others and you serve so many people, how can we serve you today? How can we give back to you? I just love when people share their ahas or what they learn. Like that just, it to me, it just brings me so much joy because I always connect so deeply to people who are doing the work, people who are open, people who want to learn, people who want to grow. So just like finding me on Instagram and sharing an aha moment for you or something that you learned, something that you resonated with, that just like makes me feel so connected to other people. And I love that. And that's a huge healing for my inner child because of all the bullying and teasing and feeling very alone and not connected to people. Any kind of that heart connection is just, it's candy for me. (laughs) Soul candy. (laughs) Beautiful. Yes. Thank you. We can definitely do that. And we want to encourage everyone to share your ahas with us on Instagram and tag us. We'd love to hear. And I just want to honor you and not only thank you for your time today, but thank you for being such a beautiful soul sister to me over the past many, many years. I've loved connecting with you and getting to know you. Every time you come to Australia, we catch up. And every time I go to America, we catch up and it's so beautiful. And I wish we got to see each other more in the flesh, but voice messages are good enough for now. Yes, they have to be for now. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. This has been such a pleasure and I'm sending you so much love. 
Oh, thank you so much, Melissa, for you and the work that you do. You're such a bright light. Thank you, my darling. So are you. Such a good episode. I got so much out of it and absolutely just love and adore that woman. She is just so beautiful. I hope you got a lot out of it too. And if you did, please subscribe and leave me a review on your podcast app because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. And speaking of review of the week, I want to read this week's review. It's a five-star review from Leah Peace. Awesome last name. And it's titled, My Guardian Angel, Teacher, Coach, and Soul Auntie. I love it. And she says, I'm so very grateful for all the information you share and how beautifully it sings to my soul. Thank you, Melissa. I have been listening to you for years now and still cannot get enough. Melissa is not only a podcaster, she is a genuine teacher, a life coach, and guardian angel to me. Even though I do not know her well in person, this podcast is the perfect medicine for a pick-me-up, some good advice, or learning something new. As a newly qualified chiropractor, I have listened to Melissa all during my university studies, and now in my first year out, Through COVID, I would not have been able to get through all of this without her, my soul auntie. Melissa's podcasts are filled with the most up-to-date scientific research and concepts, with some very inspiring guests at the forefront of their careers. Definitely worth a listen, and I recommend this podcast to everyone. Much love, Leah. Peace. Leah, thank you so much. That is By far, one of the best reviews I've ever read. Thank you so much. And as a little thank you, I want to gift you one of my top four favorite products. And this week, we've got some goodies from Organifi. So all you have to do is email hello at melissarambrosini.com with your address, honey, and we will send that over to you. And I just want to thank you so much. That was so beautiful. I'm so touched. And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading them all. So please come and share them with me. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. I'm so honored. I'm so grateful. I love doing this show for you. And I want to honor you for showing up and for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself today. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.